The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Atlantic Files, the number one podcast in the number one division in the NBA, brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network, joined by your host, myself, Alex Fishbein. So, we are in the middle of the playoffs now. We have the first round going on. All of the Atlantic teams have played two games because at the time we're recording this, this is before the Nets and Celtics play their third game and the Knicks and Hawks play their third game. So what we're going to do is we're going to get a little, just like a brief little overview of each of these series. We're going to talk about some of the end of the season awards that are coming out now. And we're also going to debut a new segment that is called the rant of the week. Now, anyone who has followed some of the content that I've put out and who has followed the Atlantic Files knows I used to run a segment every week called Fish's Friday Rant. Um, so essentially, it's going to be sort of like that, but it's just a rant on here. Going to be pretty short, and whatever basketball topic that's going on that's weird or crazy right now, we're going to rant about it. So stay tuned for that because we're talking about fans pulling off some of the crazy stuff that they've been pulling off lately so we're going to talk a little bit about that so without further ado let's get into the playoffs we have the Celtics versus the Nets the Nets are up 2-0 right now they play later on today today is Friday they play later on today and they the Nets won the first two games 104 to 93 and 130 to 108 Kevin Durant being the high scorer in both of those games. And this series is pretty much going exactly how we expected it to go. Uh, especially with the Celtics not having Jalen Brown, it especially was expected to go in blowout fashion. Probably a sweep, but hey, if Boston can sneak one at home, at least they get a win at home for their fans. But it's not looking like it. <laughs> um... Pretty much, so in all the four factors, according to basketball reference, there are four factors in a game that kind of judge how a series or game is going to go or or who's going to win. Brooklyn is leading in all four of those factors, and that is effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebound percentage, and free throw per field goal attempt. Brooklyn's winning in all four of those by a pretty healthy margin. Offensive rating-wise, Brooklyn's at 123.5. Boston's at 106. Points per game straight off the rip. Brooklyn is at 117, while Boston's at 100.5. The big three for Brooklyn are doing, again, exactly what we expected. You got Durant averaging 29 and 10. You got Kyrie at 22, 6 and 3.5. And you got James Harden at 27 and seven and a half with two and a half steals on top of that. Even Durant has one steal and two and a half blocks per game for him on, on the defensive side of the ball. 
the latest game we saw Joe Harris just completely go off with seven threes, making seven out of ten. Uh, and he's actually making 56% of his threes in this series alone, which is just ridiculous. He's now up to nine of 16 in this series. So that first game, he only had two, and they still won by 11. The second game, they win by 22, and he had seven. So you see how much that offense can grow the moment one of the non-big three members starts hitting some shots. Um, the one big thing, I well, it could be big. I guess we'll see. Jeff Green was announced that he's going to miss at least the next game with a strained, I believe they said strained plantar fascia. Um, so there's been a few players who have had some plantar fasciitis issues this season, and some of them were out a very extended period of time, such as Gilgis Alexander. There, I feel like that injury is very sensitive in terms of like the slightest thing could set it off again, and you really don't want to do that because then it's just painful for the rest of time. Um, I'm not a medical professional or anything, but it, that just sounds like that's how it goes with how the rest of them have gone. Um, but yeah, the Brooklyn Nets have just been dominating. They pretty much get whatever they want. They have they play a lot of ISO ball because obviously with the big three, those three can ISO anytime they want and score anytime they want. So it's going to be a decent amount of ISO. Blake Griffin has completely just re reproduced himself. Re, reproduced probably isn't the right word. It's like he just looks like a completely new person since he's come to Brooklyn. Um, we actually posted on the Atlantic Files Instagram, if you saw that, we posted, someone had a meme where it was the Paul Pierce on, like, being pushed on that, um, wheelchair in the finals, him and, and that was Blake in Detroit, and then Blake in Brooklyn was Paul Pierce going off. I know, you know, when I think about it, when you go to explain memes without showing them, it's, it's very terrible. <laughs> but either way, yeah, but, uh, Brooklyn has been great as we expected them to be again, as I say that for the third time. Uh, on the other side, Boston, I mean, I, I just there's not much I can say about Boston just because, like, so Tatum is shooting pretty poorly, but... The main thing with Tatum is he got hurt the last game. He got poked in the eye and missed a lot of that game. Uh, the first game, he was just very off, and I th think he tweaked something in that game too, if I'm remembering correctly. And he right now he's shooting 28% from the floor and 28.6 from three. So, I mean, especially with how the team is right now and how deprived of an offense they are, especially without Jalen Brown Tatum's going to pretty much force whatever he can force because this team, especially in this series is going to go however far Tatum can take them. Marcus smart actually shooting very well in this one. He's shooting 46% from the floor and 50% from three. 
Um, he's averaging 18.3 rebounds, five and a half assists. Kemba is not shooting well either. He's up to 37% from the floor and 30% from three. But again, Kemba and Jason Tatum are now your big two with Marcus Smart, I guess, trying to be the third leg of the big three with Brown out. But Brooklyn knows that. Everybody knows that. And even Brooklyn without a great defense, they're going to key on, you know, those two people, Jason Tatum and and Kemba Walker, because if you key on those guys and make them at least struggle, like they might still get theirs. They might still get their 20 points or whatever. Like Tatum's up to 15 and a half points a game. Um, The rest of that team is nowhere close to good enough to beat a team like Brooklyn. Those two guys... You know, they can really, if they start, you know, catching a groove, they can really go off and go nuclear. But with if you just make them struggle, make them average the 15, 16 points that they're averaging right now, you're going to destroy them as they have. That's really all it comes down to. The rest, the supporting cast of the Celtics just is nowhere near good enough. That's just the, the fact of the matter. Um, But yeah, that's really a brief little bit about that series because it's really you know not been close (laughs) and going to another not so close series we have the Sixers and the Wizards the Sixers are up 2-0 in that one they won the first game 125-118 and then the second game 120-95 now Again, with the four factors, Sixers are beating them, beating Washington by a pretty healthy margin. The Sixers are actually doing a very good job in limiting their turnovers. That has always been a big thing with the Sixers, uh, especially over the last, I'd say, like four or five seasons. They their turnovers have always been the thing to really kill them even if they were up by a lot of points in the first half or even in the third quarter the turnovers they would always 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 have one quarter that they would just turn the ball over like 15 times in a quarter so far in this series they've turned the ball over 22 times total so averaging 11 a game which is not bad at all. If you can average 11 turnovers a game for the whole postseason, that would honestly be amazing. I don't think they're going to average that low of a turnover rate, but if they can, that bodes well for them for the rest of the postseason. Uh, Washington, they're the eight seed. They barely made it into the postseason. They had to. They lost their first playing game, then won the second playing game. I mean, they won it by a good margin, but still. Uh, and there's really not all that much to say about them. I mean, Bradley Beal's been going off. He's made 52% of his shots, but only 16% from three. But he's still putting up 33 points a game. Um, Westbrook, on the other hand, has been quite awful shooting the last two games. Uh, I know he got hurt near the end of the second game before he had the popcorn poured on his head. He is averaging 13, 5, and 12, which, hey, you know, 
somewhat close to a triple-double, still 12.5 assists a game. That's still solid, but it's not like the Russell Westbrook standard that a lot of us are used to. And he's only shooting 33% from the floor and has 10 turnovers over the two games. So, as I said, not that great. And his free throw percentage is even only at 66. So, um, I mean, that's one area that you can see why the Wizards would be getting destroyed. Because they have to have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook clicking at the same time, going off on fire for them to win. Especially over the Sixers or any other top like five teams, but also in general when they actually did beat somebody like the Pacers or, I mean, like even against the Celtics, they still needed them to be both go nuclear at the same time and it just didn't really work out. So uh, we're waiting to see kind of what that injury at the end of the last game is going to look like for Russell Westbrook. But at the same time, Seth Curry also needed help off the court in that game earlier. And we have to see if that's going to affect him going on with this series and even the rest of the postseason. Because especially as a shooter, he's coming off a lot of screens, he's running around the court a lot. I mean, a bothersome ankle could mean a little bit off on your shot which then could throw the whole thing off. So there's a lot of questions still surrounding those injuries. But all in all, the Sixers' big three has been pretty great. Uh, Simmons is averaging a triple-double. He's averaging 14, 12, and 11 with one and a half steals and a block per game. Uh, Joel Embiid's putting up 26, 6, and 3. Tobias is putting up 28, 7, 1, and 1. I mean, the their big three is doing everything you could ask of them to do. All three of them are even shooting over 55% from the floor. Um, Tobias is shooting 57. Joel's shooting 60. And Ben is shooting 58% from the floor. Three-point-wise, Tobias is at 37, Joel's at 42, Uh, Tobias hasn't even missed a free throw yet, Joel's only missed one. I mean, these guys are all shooting well, they're all playing well, they're all defending well. Tobias has played some of the best defense of his entire career this whole season, to be honest with you, too. And then um, you get down to the supporting cast members Seth Curry obviously you know went off with that injury but still had some meaningful buckets and in that in in the second game but also in the first game Danny Green has been decent like he's shooting 66 percent but he just hasn't shot the ball much he's only shot the ball nine times total or sorry, that was Furcon. He shot the ball. No, he's also shot the ball nine times total within the last two games. So just hasn't really, there's not much of a volume there, but at least he's making it at a higher clip. Um, but the one, well, one of the X factors, I think, for the Sixers, especially so far, is George Hill. And this is exactly why they made this deal before the trade deadline. It was for the playoffs. They didn't really care, you know, 
how well George Hill did during that regular season, or even if he played that many games when he was coming back from that injury. But they knew he was at least a steadying veteran force that could come off the bench and at least be able to settle the guys down and drive them in a, you know, straight ahead, keep it steady fashion. And he's done exactly that. I mean, he's made his shots. He's also shooting above 50%. He's at nine points, one rebound, two assists a game. Like, he's also played okay defense. They put him on, you know, Bradley Beal at times, and then Beal has went off on him, which I kind of expect that, to be honest with you. But all in all, George Hill is doing exactly what they wanted of him out of that trade that they got him. And then we can't move on without talking about Matisse Thibel, the only person in NBA history to come off the bench, play less than 20 minutes in a game, and get five blocks and four steals. That might be the other way around, but you get what I'm talking about. That, honestly, is pretty insane, if you ask me. That's pretty insane. So, moving on to probably the most entertaining series of the Atlantic team's first round series. We have the Hawks and the Knicks. The first game came down to the wire with Trey Young hitting a game winner. The Hawks won that 107-105. Last night, the Knicks looked like they were in a lot of trouble, but made a big comeback, and they they ended up winning the game 101-92. Trey Young was the leading scorer in both games. Not really surprising. Um, But as of right now, the four factors, Atlanta is leading in those four factors in three of the four of them. Turnover percentage isn't by much, though, but effective field goal and free throw per field goal attempt have a good little bit of a margin there. And the Knicks are way outpacing them in off- offensive rebound percentage. Um, the Knicks also have a higher offensive rating and a higher points per game right now. And I think right now the big difference is that the Hawks are able to contain Randall and Barrett. At, oh, excuse me. And I think that is in well part... I think that is due in a major part, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, to the play of Nerlens Noel and Alfred Payton. So I know Alfred Payton didn't play as much last game as he did the first game, and as you see, the Knicks won that second game. But especially when Payton and Noel were on the floor at the same time, it was just creating a logjam. It was almost like the Sixers of last season where you had a couple guys that couldn't shoot, so nobody was really worrying about those two, and you could play five on three pretty much, and then your main guys who normally are scoring aren't scoring because they're playing against two extra defenders pretty much. Uh, and then, you know, you bring out Alfred Payton and you finally put in someone like Frank Nidalekina or you put in someone like Derrick Rose or Alec Burks. Um, even, you know, Obi Toppin, and then you start opening the floor up a little bit. Even with Nerlens Noel, his defense is nice to have in there, especially when guys get beat off the dribble or whatever it may be. But when it comes to the offensive end, the Hawks know that they don't really have to play that tight a defense on Nerlens Noel. Noel's not, you know, shooting from anywhere on the floor other than right near the rim. 
He's not really doing anything off the dribble. He's not going to be a pick-and-pop guy. He's literally just going to rim run and get putback points. That's all Nerlens Noel is doing. And that allows the Hawks to be able to play a lot more help defense off of Nerlens Noel because as long as you're ready to get up and, and block that, that lob attempt, I mean, you're pretty much rendering Nerlens Noel useless. So, I'm curious to see if Tibbs comes up with some sort of other, uh, you know, strategy with Noel. It looks like, I mean, I would hope that in the next game they, they just don't play Peyton at all. I would definitely give Peyton's minutes to Nita Lakina, even if Frank isn't, you know, making all of his shots. I mean, Alfred Peyton didn't hit a single shot. He was 0 for 5. He had one point in both games out of a free throw because he missed one of them. And he had one assist, one steal, one foul. Over two games where he played 13 minutes. Frank so far has only played one minute and that was in the last game. And they just kind of threw him in at the end to all of a sudden cover Trey Young. I, I mean, that's a bit of throwing a guy into the fire if you ask me. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I would give his minutes to Frank. I would give a little bit more minutes to maybe quickly or even Obi Toppin. I mean, Obi's only played like 24 minutes in the two games. There's definitely better people that you can give those minutes to rather than Alfred Payton. With Noel, I think you still have to give him minutes, especially because of his defensive contributions. Um, almost like how the Sixers use Matisse Thibel, like when his offensive side, you know, a lot of guys aren't really respecting his offensive game and what he can do. But on the defensive end, he has such a high impact that, you know, it kind of balances out just a tiny bit of having him out there. But I do think that they're at least going to have to try and force the issue of getting the ball into Noel to at least get him some kind of buckets down there just because just just to keep them honest just to just to make sure that their defense can't keep you know gravitating towards the ball and just leaving Noel alone um especially when you have a guy like Julius Randle who also operates a lot in the post and can bring it out and play mid-range and whatever it may be I mean you need Randle and Barrett to step up the most because there were your two leaders throughout the whole season. Right now, they're averaging 15 and 13 and a half points in, um, respectively. But Randall has seven turnovers over the two games, um, and he just hasn't shot well at all. He shot 28% from the floor, 30% from three. RJ has shot 37% from the floor and 27% from three. So really, right now, the two offensive leaders on the team have been Burks and Derrick Rose. And that's okay, but if you want to win a series, especially against an offensive player like Trey Young, who can be a big-time playmaker and we've seen him be a huge scorer as he's led both games scoring with 32 and 30, your two guys need to step up here. That's that's the main thing. If, if Randall and Barrett can step up and get back to the scoring that they were doing all season in these next um, three games then I think the Knicks can win in five. But it has to be a consistent step up from Randall and Barrett. It's just, that's plain and simple. Um, but 
Looking at the rest of the playoffs, I'm not going to get into the other series as much as we were getting into the Atlantic ones. Uh, the Miami Heat look awful. Milwaukee looks very good. And uh, looks like Drew Holiday, I mean, has been the exact piece they've needed all along. <laughs> the Clippers in trouble again. I don't know why I keep putting trust in the Clippers, to be honest with you. Every, like, the last couple seasons since Kawhi's been there and even the season before, I kept saying, like, you know, the Clippers are going to figure it out. But now down 0-2 to Dallas. And they're going back to Dallas now. I don't have any more faith in them. And then we have Denver and Portland. Denver's up 2-1 on that. I hope Portland wins just because I'd like to see Dame win because I like Dame. But, I mean, that one's been flip-flopping a lot. Utah and Memphis are 1-1. One one. It was surprising to see Memphis win that first game. And I hope John Morant keeps balling out because he's been having a great series and just a great play-in and postseason so far. And then uh, I think the most entertaining series other than Knicks-Hawks is the Phoenix Suns versus Los Angeles Lakers. Just, you know, the physicality of that matchup. You know, the fights we've already seen between them and how uh, crazy everyone's going. It, it's, I think that one's just super entertaining. So the last thing I wanted to get into today is the rant of the week. Let me, let me get comfortable for this one. The rant of the week is dedicated to all of the fans that all of a sudden finally are able to go to games and don't know how to act. I'm sorry, but pouring popcorn on Russell Westbrook in Philly, spitting on Trey Young from a Knicks fan, and then Utah Jazz fans just disrespecting, yelling expletives. I've seen people talk about them saying racial slurs, but I don't know if that was confirmed or not, but whatever it may be, Still unacceptable. And and they were yelling those at the family of Ja Morant. Not at Ja, but at his family. Like, I don't understand. Like, now that you guys can can leave your house, you just... Like, what what's happening here? You all of a sudden are allowed to leave your house and go places, and you decide, oh, let me take this... Let me take this final moment that I can, not final moment, but like, let me take this opportunity to ruin it for not just yourself, but then also trash the name of the fan bases that you are representing. Like, it it doesn't make any sense to me. And the the thing that also kind of flabbergasted me was the fact that we're talking about the popcorn getting poured on Westbrook. Like, and when I say we, I'm saying like the media and a lot of the people just online in general and a lot of the people that I've heard that are NBA fans are talking about the popcorn thing way more than the spitting or the disrespecting and racial slurs and expletives at a player's family. I don't condone the popcorn thing. I'm letting you guys know that now. I don't condone that at all. And it is disrespectful. But if 
you're telling me the whole popcorn thing was worse than the spitting? I'm not even talking about the other thing, but the spitting had to have been way worse than the popcorn thing. Like, we're talking about bodily fluids. That is disgust. Like, first, not even the disrespectful part, but that's just disgusting in general. Like, when someone's talking and they, like, they spit when they talk, like, you feel some type of way when that happens. When they hack a loogie on you, that is crazy. And not just that, but over top of the shoulder of 50 Cent and his girlfriend, past, like, past a row to spit on Trey Young. That just blows my mind. And then on top of that, we have Kyrie going back to Boston talking about, you know, let's keep the racial slurs out of it and everything. And then uh, the media asks Danny Ainge, and he's like, I've never heard anything. And then Marcus Smart on his own team, on your team, Danny Ainge, says, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard a lot of racial slurs in Boston. It's not a secret that a lot of people in Boston are very racist. It's, it's really not. And whenever there are stories from professional athletes, Boston is usually brought up the most when it comes to racial slurs or racist things. And then out of like, especially recently, I'd say the next highest is probably Utah, which is where that whole thing happened with John Morant's family. <laughs> so I say all this to say, yo, everyone can finally leave their houses and go do stuff like in public with everybody with other fans around and everything can finally go to games why would you just ruin that i mean a lot of these people got their like season tickets taken away they got banned from these stadiums they're not allowed to go to these stadiums for anything anymore you decide that you finally get out the house and you're just gonna ruin it so that you can't go back <laughs> like people amaze me every day yeah I, I i don't know but that's it for me guys thank you guys for listening to another episode of the atlantic files the number one podcast on the number one division in the nba brought to you by basketball society online.com and the underdog sports podcast network thank you guys for listening i'll catch you guys next week peace